And welcome on in, everybody, to the Check Your Brain podcast, wherever you are checking this podcast out, whether it's on YouTube, on Rumble, on the major podcast platforms, or maybe you pay me a couple of bucks a month at patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. For three bucks a month, you get much more content like this, early access to guests such as this, uh, and more podcasts where I'm just ranting on comedy or the state of pop culture, politics, or God only knows what here on this podcast. I have a very special guest uh, on this podcast. We've been uh, coordinating uh, and corresponding, I should say, on Twitter for a little bit. And uh, I'm a fan of his on social media, but I'm also a fan of his father. And I think a lot of people are fans of his father. He's the author of the book, Why Gary Why? And that's my guest today. His name is Jody Plache. Jody, thanks for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me. We're doing take two, so <laughs> so I I always like bringing up the things like we we had already talked a little bit, and then I had uh, some internet uh, connection problems, but here we are again, and uh, back to doing this. And uh, yes, you are the author of this book that came out uh, about four years ago. So, uh, uh, and I urge people to go check out the book. It's one of these. It's not a. It's not one of these new type of political books where it's about Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Where it's something you read once and you probably just leave it on your bookshelf. You don't check it out. This is one that you not only have on your bookshelf, you will read again, and then you will encourage other people to read this. You're like, you have to check this out. Remember that guy at the airport who shot the, it's like, you need to read this book. You need to read about the history. But uh, Jody, uh, talk a little bit about where you were, how you got into uh, the uh, the awareness for the um, for counseling and everybody that uh, you, you went through, basically you went through hell and back when you were a kid, but it was so public how do you manage that? How were you able to manage that? Uh, like, w- were there any substance abuse things? Did you have any type of vices? And how you were able to go forward with this um, this message that you're trying to put out there and trying to help families, help children? Um, that uh, I mean, over the course of it's now almost forty years that you've you've put into this work here. All right. For those who may not have Googled my name or my dad's name, yes, when I was 11 years old, I had been sexually abused my, by my karate teacher for uh, about a year. And then he came to some financial problems, took off to California. When he did, he took me. He eventually got caught. And when they returned him, my dad had found out about the sexual abuse and he had gotten wind from someone who had worked at the TV station at what time they were bringing him back. So he went to the airport, got on a payphone, was talking to his best friend. He wasn't pretending to be on the phone. He was talking to his best friend. And he told him, here they come, you're going to hear the shot. And he shot him. Uh, people say on live TV, it was captured in front of a, a <clears throat> television camera. And the shooting took place around 930. And they had about 30 minutes to make a decision on whether they were going to show this or not. All right. So because of that, over the years, uh, I've done several different talk shows, starting in 1991 with the Geraldo Rivera show. And Geraldo had us fly to New York City. And I only went there to be on TV, just to say I went to New York City for free and get you know a trip to New York City. Well, the show aired June 4th. This was April of uh, 91. The sh- show aired June 4th of 91. And a couple weeks later, I got a call from Mike Barnett, who was one of the lead detectives on, on the case. And he's actually the one who was on the phone, made the call to the FBI to come get me. And uh, he called me up and he said, I want you to know this. He goes, uh, it's going to be on the news. It's going to be in the papers. He goes, we just arrested this pastor. He had been molesting these two boys. And one of the boys saw you on Geraldo and credited that for him coming forward. So that's 
when at eight, 19 years old, I decided, okay, I want to take what happened to me and turn it into something good. So in 98, when I, or 97, when I graduated from LSU, I moved to Pennsylvania in 98 and worked at a place called the Victim Service Center of Montgomery, Montgomery County Incorporated. It's located in Norristown, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. I worked there for seven years. I was a certified sexual assault counselor, and I wanted to take that experience as well, not just my personal experience, because I've been to the hospital as a child victim of sexual assault, but I've also been to the hospital with a child victim of sexual assault as an advocate, as a crisis counselor. So I wanted to take all that information and create an interesting book that's like a, a sexual assault how-to respond manual and so that's what i believe my book why gary why is it's not just a uh me my story and what happened to me it, it, it is that but the other half is more like a self-help on, on you know signs and symptoms uh what to look for in grooming um how to respond if, you've, if your child discloses abuse and all that other stuff and i try to inject my personality through it so i try to make it funny you know I'm, i wrote a book about child rape kidnapping and murder and if you go to amazon and read it there are several reviews that are like this book was funny i laughed i cried so i think it it, it has a good balance yeah that's what i always said about the the movie goodfellas that there's so many funny parts in that movie that's supposed to be this serious crime movie and it's wait, like wait, wait, it, wait, it's, wait, wait, that, but, but funny funny how funny how yeah funny how <laughs> and it, it, it's what it, it, that's what good work does especially when it comes to art but also good literature is that it's supposed to manipulate your emotions like that you're supposed to go like should i be laughing here i mean this book is about again yeah child rape but that's kind of funny and it's that's what it does is i think it plays a a, a very pivotal role and will hit close to home but again people cope in different ways and you're somebody that has kind of you have a sense of humor. You and I like very similar comedians and uh, and what what types of humor, but not everybody does that. And there are people who are still traumatized from things that happened as a kid and and different coping mechanisms. And it's uh it, it it's got to be tough. And uh, you so that means you deal with and you've helped consult children or now maybe adults who had this happen to them. And that they're kind of reliving the experiences from all different parts of the spectrum of people who've coped in different ways. It's just that uh, this is not uh, it's sad that this is still going on, but every case is different, isn't it? Yes, every case is different. That's why, you know, I know people, you know, they look at my dad as the symbol of justice, um, which in a way he was. But, you know, you, you can't uh, you, it's more important for a parent to be there for their child. So. Um, Another thing, too, is like if a child discloses abuse, you don't want to ask like why questions like why didn't you tell me earlier? Um, you know, why are you telling me this now? Because that's somehow blaming or putting like blaming on the child like it's your fault you told. So, yeah, the well, and w when you get into a topic, and we, I, I could actually ask you this because uh, I want to talk a little bit about your dad and in the cult like hero worship. And I think it's justified that has popped up in especially recent years. But. Uh, you mentioned the term grooming, and I'm, I'm being very careful because I know how YouTube with their censorship and certain words that you want to get out. But it's been a topic of late the last couple of years. We've heard that term grooming. And I have mentioned it's like when you hear about it going in schools of certain books that are out there or whatever the case is, we hear grooming. And it could mean a couple of different things. But when you're talking about grooming, you're talking how they're grooming families. You, you, as you mentioned in the book, that Jeff Doucette groomed your family as well as you and, and manipulated your family into doing that. So 
I guess talk about the, how the term grooming has now come, become a little bit of an ambiguous definition, but uh, especially on how you define it as well. All right, I, I guess the easiest way to describe grooming is um, being that fun guy. You know, presenting yourself as this guy who's fun. Jeff would take us to the mall. We go on karate trips out of town. We went to Astroworld. So, you know, here's this guy who everyone thinks is a big kid and he loves being around uh, other kids and he'd let us drive the car and he'd take us skating. Um, just being that, you know, all American, wonderful, just great guy is pretty much the grooming. It's to make the parents less suspicious of, like, if I were to tell, um, for example, there's an example in my book where, um, we fought in a karate tournament in Fort Worth and my uncle lived in Dallas. And so we had arranged to stay with him for a couple of days before we headed back home so I could play with my cousins. I mean, that's what we did. We would travel up to Dallas every summer. So we just made this part of our, our annual trip. And uh, Jeff was mad at me. He didn't want me to stay with my uncle. And he, in front of when they made the arrangement to, for me to go to my uncle, as I got out of the car or the van, Jeff like gave me a kiss on the, the lips, just like, a, I don't, I don't know whether it was a long, passionate, drawn-out kiss or whether it was just a, you know, just a, but just the fact that Jeff kissed me on my lips raised a red flag with my uncle, and he told my dad, he's like, there's something not right with this relationship, and my dad was like, oh, no, my dad took it for Jeff, oh, you got to know Jeff, Jeff's a good guy, no, he, you know, he's affectionate, and, you know, he hugs and kisses all the kids, you know, blah, 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 and so they had had my dad so kind of in the dark, my parents so in the dark, um, that Jeff literally thought he could take me and they weren't going to call the police. Hmm. So that's what the grooming is. The grooming is being that all American, better than a uh, wonderful person to make people uh, feel comfortable giving you access to their children. Well, I, what I don't like nowadays, I'm going to throw my own opinion here, my own editorial is that I've, I've been hearing politicians, I've been hearing public figures start to talk about how, uh, children don't necessarily belong to parents anymore, that they're the community's parents, that the community should be raising them. It's like, no, 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 they're not your kids. They're all of our kids. I, I even heard the president of the United States talk about that. And I'm thinking to myself, is it, as a parent, you, it, like, it doesn't matter where you are at on a political spectrum. It's no, you have no authority over my children. You have none of that. But, but it, I, I've just seen this normalized and it, and it kind of it, that's why a lot of people talk about what this new form of grooming is, where you say, are you grooming them through like some kind of, you know, uh, political ideology or are you grooming them sexually? And I think the answer is some ways yes to both. And I, I think that's been a really tough situation going on now is when you say that the community should like take ownership of your children. And when that happens, who knows who knows what uh, what monster could be lurking around the corner because you're you nobody knows their kids better than the parents do you know what the first step of grooming is is uh sniffing young children's hair that's the first step of grooming exactly um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, i'm trying to be funny right but no um i don't have a problem with like i don't want to say you have the community raise the children no, no the parents need to be the ones that raise the children um but if i see or notice that like for example we we have you know uh family weekends every now and then, you know, and I do know that a lot of times sexual abuse from comes from cousin on cousin. And I, I take notice when I see my 10 year old nephew playing with the, you know, five-year-old niece, 
Um, you know, I'm I'm trying to keep an eye on that. So I mean, in a sense, it's none of my business. You know, it, it is if something like that's happening, it is my business. But if two kids are playing, having a good time, that ain't none of my business. Yeah. But I, I I do take notice and try to watch. I mean, but then again, I mean, you can't keep your eye on them 24/7. So. Yeah, well, it, it's it because at one time we used to have families. When I say family, the extended family lived down the street. Like grandma lived upstairs, and then the cousins lived down the street, and everybody. So it we weren't spread out. We weren't doing things over Zoom because there were no computers at the time. So we were like a community. But it, when you say community, it's people who are not related. They're like, no, no. See the teachers and the 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 TikTok influencer, and it, I think that's playing a lot of role. And it's it's starting to become, in my opinion, from my perspective, a wedge issue. Is that it seems like a lot of parents are uh, a little bit, I don't want to say absentee, and, and allowing these other forces like TikTok, like these the Jeffrey Marshes and others who are around saying like, I'll be your mom. If your mom is going to tell you that you can't do such and such, I'll be your mom. And I'm like, it, it, I, it, it probably is a form of grooming in a very like small uh, remote way, as opposed to like, again, having somebody who's like a baseball coach that's trying athletic supporters on in the shed or something it's like i it's i think it still falls under that grooming and that's uh, one thing that's concerning me that's it comes in all forms that's why it's important to i'm not going to say by by reading my book you're going to become an expert and be able to spot every symptom and sign but you know what it's going to give you a better shot of understanding that so that's why i think it's important for parents especially parents to read you know the book Let's let's talk about your dad and the, the your parents that were they it was what about like a year before they had gotten divorced? They never got divorced. My parents oh, they never were married until the day he died. Oh, they yeah, were they okay. Okay, because um, I, I I thought I read something that they were separating or something, but I might have got some bad information. At, no, no. At the end, at the end of the summer of eighty uh, three, um, my mother told my dad to leave because she had been telling him to stop drinking, um, and he wouldn't. And he was a salesman. So his job was to go out and entertain. So he'd go out for lunch. He'd buy him lunch and he'd have a couple of beers. He'd go to the office. He'd do a little paperwork. Then he'd, hey, meet me at three o'clock for happy hour. So he got the happy hour from, you know, three to five. Then he'd go on over to the baseball fields where he was our baseball coach. And that was pretty much, or he'd go to the basketball gym because he was our basketball coach. Or he'd go to the football fields because he was our football coach. So, I mean, that was kind of like his routine. He'd get up, go entertain clients, you know, and because of that, he he's coming home drunk every night. I mean, he'd he'd have a like a, a six pack of beer in an ice chest at the the par- the community park, and he would cut out a coke can and he'd take the beer, stick it in the coke can, and then he'd just drink, drink like that. I mean, that's just that's how our dads were back then. Mm-hmm. And so, someone asked me, you know, did I think my dad had a drinking problem? I mean, he did. I mean, he did have a drinking problem, but. The main person that had a problem with his drinking was my mother, and I don't blame her because she had four kids, and so she's got to take care of four kids and this drunk man, you know, every night. I, so I don't blame her. And if, if he wouldn't cut back or at least make an effort, which he didn't, um, you know, I don't, I don't blame her for telling daddy to leave. So then that all happens, and so while he's not in the picture anymore, that's when Jeff comes along a little bit more Jeff, in the picture. Jeff, no, Jeff, Jeff had been doing it already. Okay, it just, it just allowed him more opportunities it was it was one less obstacle with your dad you know living somewhere else and that yes. uh he was it made, kind made of it that much easier for him yep and that and and obviously and then that's where your dad's probably just going out of his mind when he starts hearing this stuff and then like you you mentioned and you know it, here's the thing it's like i don't want to give away too much in the book but i think a lot of it because this was a huge news story people know about it it's easy easy to google 
And uh, so this was going on with Jeff. And then it gets to a point where you get abducted, taken to Anaheim, and you're out there and that uh, they were able to track you down where you're at because of a collect call that was made from the hotel. Uh, How did I mean, you know, what was that like being in the in the car like was it was it something like hey we're going to disneyland you want to come with or was it something very like how how, what was jeff what was his reaction during that time well i knew jeff was highly stressed because he had made some bad business deals all because of him um (laughs) and he owed people money he had written some hot checks and he had a court date coming up and he told me if he can't borrow i want to say 10 or fifteen thousand dollars by this date then he's going to go to California, he's going to take me with him. And so that's the closest I ever came to telling because I didn't want to go with him, but I still took the silent, not say nothing and just went along with it. So when we got in a car and we weren't heading the way he said, he told my mother, we were going to go to uh, this other karate kids. Parents were building a house and Jeff's brother owned a carpet company. And so Jeff was like, Oh, I'm going to go check to see if the carpets arrived. And so we weren't heading towards that house. We were heading out towards his brother's house and we went to his brother's Mike house and picked up some things and then we went from gonzalez louisiana in my mother's car mind you to port arthur texas where his mother lives and his mother lived next door to his sister and so the sister had a phone they went over and they called my mother and said that jeff and jody are here jeff's gonna have him back in the morning and so my mother was like he better be back home in the morning so this was a sunday well when i didn't show up monday uh, my mother called the police and Tuesday they went to Port Arthur. Well, that happened to be the same day. We took a bus from Orange, Texas to Los Angeles, California. Oh. And we, we left on a Tuesday and we got there on a Thursday morning at about probably like three o'clock in the morning. We hung out in the bus station for a couple of days, but then we did go to Disneyland. So that's how we ended up in Anaheim because we went from L.A. We took the the bus from L.A. to Anaheim. We walked a block got a hotel room next day went to disneyland after disneyland walked the block to the hotel that he eventually got arrested at that was the uh, samoa motel at harbor and catella um i think it's 425 west catella and it's now an america's great adventure but that hotel's still there and in 96 i i I may have actually stayed there now that i think about it because that sounds familiar. I stayed off a hotel in Catella when I went to Disneyland one time. I don't know which one it was, but uh, I hope it wasn't that one. Okay. Well, in 97, my friend uh, Chris, his, his dad was getting married in San Diego. So we flew out. It was during spring break. So we flew out to San Diego. Well, I decided to stay a couple of days in L.A. So instead of flying straight home, I booked my ticket so I could go a couple of days in L.A., well, as I mean, to get to San Diego to Los Angeles, you got to go right by Disneyland. And I exited off that interstate and I drove straight to that hotel without a map. I knew exactly where it was. And I went, I took a few pictures. So if you see like a the ESPN story where they're showing the room, I took those pictures in 1997. So how did that feel when you went back to that hotel? Like it did, was it just full of emotion or was it just one of those like, wow, so that was the place? It was just like, all right, this is where I was. And I remember I did an interview when I was in Pennsylvania. I was like, I was like, it was a crappy neighborhood. Like when I went back in 1997, it was crappy. But they've since uh, gentrified it and it's really nice again. Well, that well, of course, yeah. Put a Del Taco across the street. Everything's going to be really good. Uh, So so your dad gets wind of it because he talked to a newsman. Right. And they they caught wind. Was that the story? My dad used to work at the TV station. He was a cameraman back in college. Okay. The 
place where my dad would entertain his clients that I was telling you about was about less than a half a mile up from that news station. My dad bowled on the, the team currently in 83. He bowled. I would go with them. Um, so he knew everybody that worked at the news station. They were his friends. And so the program director at the time, his name was Bob Shadell. And if I look like I'm tweaking on a crack, it's just I got this. I'm doing an endurance test with my beard and it's itching. So I, that's what oh. I'm I'm doing it. <laughs> no, for. You're, but uh, no, you're good. <laughs> but, but it was a guy named Bob Shadell. And he's like, hey, uh, I think they're bringing your boy back tonight. And my dad, they had, they had lied to my dad and wouldn't tell him when he was coming back. And he goes, no, I think they're back. He's back already. And Bob goes, no, he's coming back tonight. He goes, I'll find out what time for you. And he walked over to the payphone. It may have been a phone booth inside the, the restaurant. Went over to the phone booth, made a call, found out, oh, no, he'll be in at 908. So, I mean, he legitimately told him. So my dad, when they asked my dad, how did he find out? He said, oh, they were over here and I just overheard him. But my dad lied. My dad didn't overhear him. That guy said, hey. They're bringing it back at nine thirty tonight, or nine oh eight, or whatever. So now, your, your your dad decides I'm going to go to the airport. I'm going to go over to the payphone. Is that is that what it was? He was going to be on the payphone pretending, or he was on a phone call, but like he was in disguise. He's got the, the aviator sunglasses. He has the hat, and he's like, "I'm planning this. This is how I'm going to. This is how it's going down." And, and there was there was no plan. He actually had driven out to False River and was still contemplating what he was going to do. But then the closer it got, the closer it got. He finally he left because he had been talking to my dad, his friend on the phone. So my dad left and then he went to the airport. Well, from the time he left False River to the airport, that's probably 30 minutes. So my dad's friend was calling back to the sheriff's office saying, hey, you know, my friend's at the airport. He's you know, going to shoot this passenger. You need to get and stop this because they were, he was worried about it. My dad getting shot and killed. Right. So he didn't want my dad to get shot and killed either. He wasn't worried about Jeff. He was worried about the, the cop shooting daddy. So daddy got to the airport. He had the gun in his boot. And again, I don't think he actually knew what he was going to do at that time. And Mike Barnett came out to look for him. There was about 30 people had gathered behind the camera. So Mike Barnett came out to look for my dad and he's looking through the, the terminal and he doesn't see him. So he waves Bud, Connor and Jeff to come on. And it, it, when that's, that's when the, the film starts and you can see, you can see Mike looking behind the cameraman. But remember when that light came on, when that light came on, he's blinded. So when Jeff and Bud are walking, they're talking, you can see, you know, Bud's looking over at Jeff saying, you know, if you see anybody hit the ground, and right then, that's when my dad was like, oh, no, because when the light came on, he was like, oh, no, he's coming. And he goes, all right, you know what? Uh, I'm pulling the gun out of my boot. You're going to hear the shot. And he knew in that light, that light was going like this on the wall. When that light got even with him, he knew that he was. they were right behind him. And that's why he used that light to guide him. That's why he turns perfectly at the right time, because he and, used to and, be a cameraman. And it's a perfect shot, too. I mean, it right in the head like he he didn't go for right just straight body mass he wanted this guy dead and uh it, it, we talk about it on march 16th every year and father's day becomes gary plache day that you do anything you can to protect your kids and when you find out something like this happens and somebody is doing that it almost seemed like everybody didn't matter like gender sexuality political persuasion i think everybody when presented with the the evidence the facts of this case everyone kind of just shrugged their shoulders and said i probably would have done the same thing now i know you're you're you go out publicly you say i do not advocate that anybody does something like this but again i understand 
I understand, you understand, everybody understands in a situation like this what what is going on. And so, you know, Jeff gets shot in the head. Is he, I think he's in a coma for like a day, and that that's about it. And then, so what what happened as this becomes obviously it's on national television. It's being shown. It was shown all across the country. Some places would lead up to right before the gun is shot. Others actually show the gunshot. Um, immediately, this becomes huge news. Uh, how does your dad react? How does the family react? And then also, how do you react? I mean, again, you're a you're a ten year old kid at this time, and you're you you don't know what the what it's like <laughs> that there's going to be cameras all around and everybody's talking about your family. How is the whole family's reaction during this in the immediate aftermath of this? Well, my first reaction was I was upset with what my father had done because and someone was like, "Why would you be upset?" Well, at the time, nobody knew what had happened to me. Nobody knew that a, a grown man had you know forced me to have you know oral and you know other types of uh violations i don't think i have to say it i think you know but uh you know so i and i was upset because i mean i even though i was a 11 year old and didn't like what jeff did to me that was still my friend that was still the guy that took me to disneyland that took, would take me to movies that would give me money that would buy me things so there was that part of the the if you think of the good grooming jeff you know there there was still part of that Okay, even though without the pedophile Jeff, there is no good grooming Jeff. I mean, he was just using that to compensate for his attraction for children. Um, so the 51 year old Jody's like, you know what? Jeff was the biggest POS ever. And he's worse than I describe him in the book because there's things I left out. Okay. Um, if you can imagine. And, and I will say this too the things I left out. Um, if we do do a docuseries, I think we'll include that. So, I mean, you know, just to tease that if it ever happens. So, but uh, yeah, no, 51 year old Jody's like, you know what? Jeff was a no good rotten person and it couldn't happen to a better person to have like so many people get joy of watching him die. I mean, I know yeah. that sounds horrible, but you know what? You know, it, it that's what happened. Well, because they were saying at the that your dad, it was like they they use the temporary insanity and everything, uh, but it it just seemed like your dad was just, yeah. Did he drink a little bit? Oh, yeah, sure. Did he come to the the, the games, you know, with a couple of drinks in him because he was a sales guy? Sure, but he seems like a regular all American dad, and, and and how you'd react, and so you take a regular all American dad finds out what's happening to his son, and he does this where a lot of people will say, yeah, it's justified. I wouldn't put, I, I would, I would find your dad $4 and 50 cents and he would spend a total of 32 seconds in jail. And that's about it. <laughs> and like, that would be the worst of all the punishments, but there, he had probation, he had community service and that was about it. And your dad lived another, what, 30 years after that. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I said my dad was sentenced to 300 more hours of community service because he had already he had already done a service to the, co the community. You had mentioned earlier about how on Father's Day, like, I mean, like literally my little brother tweeted out of, of something that I put about my dad and he picked up 800 followers. I picked like a, a thousand followers just on, on Father's Day alone. Um, and I, the, one of the greatest quotes and, and I was to this and to me, it makes me happy. For people to go, you know, Gary Ploche, the father of the century on Father's Day, this should be Gary Ploche's day. Because let me tell you something about my dad. Okay. My dad was a really good guy. He was the kind of guy that would pick up stray animals. He would, he's got, 
you know, seven cats that he's feeding outside. And he's also buying critter corn for the squirrels, which is not a good thing because it's almost like he was baiting the squirrels for the cats. But I mean, he was a really kind hearted soul. I mean, he literally uh, one time he dropped Jeff off at the karate school because he had stayed over that night on Saturday. He said, Sunday, we're going to eat Sunday dinner. And my dad starts crying. And I'm like, what? And he's like, he's so pitiful because Jeff was living at the karate school. My dad went, turned around, picked him up, brought him home, let him shower, gave him a clean shirt, brought him to his parents' house and gave him Sunday dinner. And that's the man that betrayed my dad. But on, I think it was, I forget whether it was, you know, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, or maybe a message board. Someone said something, you know, they said, I don't think Gary Plosche ever commits a crime if Jeff Doucette never does that to his kid. And my favorite comment anyone's ever said about my dad was Gary Ploche was not Gary Ploche until he had to be Gary Ploche. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's my dad right there. So when people call him the father of the century, I'll just say this. If every father was like my dad, this world would be a lot better place. And that's even with the drinking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I think about with my dad is that he probably I couldn't imagine what he would have done. My my dad was a cop. And if he found out something happened to my brother or me and uh, I, I remember one time we had a I was in the Cub Scouts, you know, stereotype. But uh, we had a scout master who didn't have any kids. He was probably about 30 and I was nine or 10 and he lived not far from us. And I think he gave me a ride one time home, never did anything, never tried anything to, to like, I know like some people will say like, Oh, did you block it out? No. I mean, he did give me a ride, but my parents were like, I don't trust this guy. I don't trust this guy at all. And I, not long after he wasn't a scoutmaster anymore. So I don't know if he tried this with other people, but my parents made sure that they're like, we're going to keep a close eye. You're not going to go down the street. You know uh, uh, they started looking around, but, it's easy for us to say like, oh, well, my parents were good parents. And if something like this happens to your kid, it means you're a bad parent. No, that's not the case. Like you said, that's how successful that grooming was, is that you have somebody that you think you can trust that's a part of the family and that betrays you. That's where your dad, it, it, it was the, the molestation on top of the betrayal. And that's where I think even more people would just go shrug their shoulders. They're like, yeah, no, I wouldn't. I, I'd probably do the same thing. Someone commented, they just said, if your dad was such a good father, he'd have never let you get molested in the first place. And I said, um, I'm pretty sure my father didn't know what was happening to me because you saw what happened when he found out. I was like, I'd have been more impressed if they'd have complimented me on my ability to keep a secret. You know, like, hey, you're yeah. really good at keeping secrets. I mean, but to sit there and, I, and then I was like, you know what? I was like, you got to put things into perspective. In 1984, people didn't talk about this. OK, people did not talk about pedophiles and child molesters. They uh, they did a show called A Fallen Angel. It was about a guy taking child porn pornography. But it was so just. Just so. You had to infer what they were trying to tell you because they they wouldn't go into the depth. I just watched it on YouTube the other day. If you ever get a chance to watch it, it, it I, I credit that, too, because I'd seen that movie. So whenever. Jeff started to touch me inappropriately. I was thinking, oh, he's like, he's like, uh, what was his name? Howie. I'm like, he's like Howie. And that was the character, the pedophile in the in the movie, uh, Fallen Angels. So if you get a chance to check it out, it's not the greatest movie in the world, but it came out in 1981. But getting back okay. to my point, no one talked about it in 84. Because of what my father did, you know, what my father did directly led to the 2002 Catholic Church scandal 
with the movie spotlights about by them doing the, the investigation. Um, I talked to a guy and when I lived, was living in Philly. So it was 20 years ago when it came out. And he said the first case that he remembers was in 1984 in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is an hour from Baton Rouge. And I asked him, I said, do you remember what month it was? He said, yeah, it was October. Well, guess what? In October, 1984 in Lafayette, Louisiana, my dad was on the news every night and they were talking about him shooting Jeff. And I'm willing to bet that that kid saw that that kid came forward because of watching my dad on the news, just like that one kid did for Geraldo. Well, you mentioned that 1981 movie, and I was doing a podcast on this recently, the Different Strokes episode with the Bicycle Man. And that was an episode where, for folks who don't know, but it was it kind of led into the very special episodes of all those. Every TV show in the 80s and early 90s had to have a very special episode. And that was where Arnold and Dudley went into the bike shop that was played by Gordon Jump, who was Mr. Horton, and he was uh, he was grooming the children. And uh, eventually they don't they they go as far as they can without really going over the top with it. But the over the top stuff when that was that they had a laugh track still. And that's it, it made things really, really uncomfortable because you still have Gary Coleman throwing out one liners. I'm like, yeah, no, you're about to be molested. But hey, it's Gary Coleman. He's telling a joke here. It's so uncomfortable. Have you, you watched it? <laughs> Can you Google what year that was? That may have been before Daddy, but what you're saying is they really- 1983. Yeah, all right, so that was before Daddy, but they were so kind of like, so far on the outside that you really, you know, unless you were molested, you didn't know what was going on. I think Todd Bridges, who I just uh, sent him a friend request on, uh, was it? No, I followed him on Twitter and he followed me back, so that was cool. But, uh, But I mean, he was being sexually abused in real life and they're wanting him to go out and act and pretend. And, you know, so he had that conflict Mm -hmm. going on that no one knew about. Yeah, that was going on in those 80s shows where uh, I think uh, one of them was Square Pegs with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, where a lot of the girls were just getting drunk on the sets. And there's a lot of shows. There's a lot of rumors. I'm going to. I'm going to go up to the edge, but I'm not going to go over because, again, YouTube, I don't want them getting in trouble. But there were shows like Kids Incorporated and Rocky Road. Kids Incorporated in my book. Yeah. And there was a lot of stuff that was going on at that time because pre-internet, it's like, well, you know, with with the amount of super stations and cable stations that were popping up, it's like, well, let's fill the gap with all these kids shows where kids are auditioning and doing talented things. And then Nickelodeon Cartoon Network come about. But then we started hearing a lot of stories like that Dan Schneider from Nickelodeon, who was obsessed with Ariana Grande's feet and had something about feet and everything. And then they're like, yeah, we found a couple of things in your computer. It, it was just it, you talk about these taboos. and I think people are a little bit more open nowadays, but it, it, nearly 40 years ago, this was still just like that couldn't happen. That doesn't happen. And cases like like yours and what happened to you and obviously the the news with your dad is that it broke it open saying like no not only can it happen it's not just happening in big cities like new york and la and san francisco it can happen in your small town and it is happening in your small town so what are we going to do about it and your case really like you said with spotlight broke it open for a lot of people and and people were able to kind of feel a little bit more comfortable coming forward I would say right after daddy shot Jeff, the McMartin trial happened, you know, and that was a big news story, you know, national news story. But about, I guess it was five years ago, probably time flies. So it was probably 10 years ago because, I mean, shoot, COVID was three and a half years ago, the shutdown. So um, probably about 10 years ago, I was watching Kids Incorporated and I was just getting creeped out. Just like I was like the creators had to 
had some type of interest in children. I even something going so on. Forth, I even so far as Googled the creator, and he he never was arrested for anything inappropriate with children, which I which kind of made me happy. But still, I was like, yeah, it it was a, it was just a little too creepy for me. And I loved Kids Incorporated. I mean, it gave us you know Fergie Ferg, it, you know Martika. I mean. Rashawn wasn't uh, wasn't Jennifer Love Hewitt in that show too? She was in the later. She was like, you know, in the later years. I mean, it, it appealed to my eleven-year-old self uh, with Mortika and Renee Sands that ended up singing while Orca with Stacey Ferguson. I mean, so yeah, I, there's a soft spot in my heart with Kids Incorporated because that's the show that, like, literally after the shooting that I I started watching. Me and my friend Brian would watch it. But there's a, a adult former or a certified sexual assault counselor who is on the board of the Louisiana Foundation Against Sexual Assault. I cannot watch Kids Incorporated without getting creeped out. Not, I, I still love Kids Incorporated, and there are other kids shows. I mean, uh, what was the one? It was another kids show. I mean, just, you know, with Corey Feldman coming out talking about the problems. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that Hollywood has a, you know, I don't want to say Hollywood, but I mean, every place has a problem. But it just seems whenever you got someone who's doing all this activity for kids or with kids, it just, it raises my radar yeah it's like it's not necessary i mean i i I, look i'm 35 so i grew up in in the glory days quote unquote of like when nickelodeon was starting everybody was watching it and oh we have to have our teen dramas and our teen comedies and then you find out all these stories that they came out and they said yeah a producer exposed himself to me a producer told me or a director said if you want this part you have to do this and you do that and you're like Man, is everything that I grew up with is is nothing sacred anymore? And apparently, nothing was. And it just it's, oof, it, it's it's creepy when I think about all these these things going forward. But I'm somebody again. I'm not a victim of of sexual abuse as a child, so I can't imagine how that could play into if somebody does find that it that is a, a survivor of sexual abuse that they can watch that and go, I I can't, I can't watch that stuff anymore. How anyone could watch, and I'm not saying that Britney Spears was was you know fooled with, but how anyone could watch that and not think that this former Mouseketeer on the Mickey Mouse Club had something inappropriate happen to her? Yeah, that, look at her Instagram right now of of Britney dancing around, doing circles. It's like it's like boy, what what happened? And it's it's so sad, but I I don't I don't get it. And uh, I mean, it's just like I I get the need that you needed. Kids shows for when a kid gets home, the latchkey kids of the Generation X that come home, like yeah, the keys underneath the uh, the, the uh, lawn gnome right now. Come on in, mom's working right now, and that they had to have some kind of entertainment. They're not going to watch Three's Company reruns all day. So, but then at the same time, like what was the cost? And the cost that you were hearing, and like in that Different Strokes episode, you were mentioning about Todd Bridges because I talk, I, I did a comedy show with Todd Bridges a few years ago, and he, I'm not going to put words in his mouth because I don't know if he wants anything out publicly, but a lot of those kids were getting abused on that show. So an episode where they are, they are talking about child molestation, it's hitting way too close to home for some of those kids that actually were going through that during the filming. It'd be like Jeff holding a seminar on how to protect your children. Meanwhile, he's the one that you got to protect them from. Yep. Wow. But, you know, I, I have to say as time has gone on though, you know, like, with your advocacy and with your uh, with your consultation, as social media has exploded in the last few years, and with with TikTok, with Instagram, with 
all like uh, there's probably way more apps and sites and everything like that. Are are we making better inroads or is this even more complicating because there's so many different options is trying to, whether it's, it is grooming or what, like what, uh, where are we at with this right now? I'm torn because I, me and I think this was got cut off, but me and my little brother last week, we went to Austin, Texas to see my favorite comedian, Jim Norton. Um, he was performing at Joe Rogan's mothership comedy club. Okay, and so pull pull up the shirt if you can that we had it there earlier of the vigilante. So I wore a picture of my dad's face on the shirt that said vigilante because you never know. I mean, if Rogan's there, hey, have me on. And so, uh, yeah, that one right there. And so I was at a bar, the side bar in Austin. If you ever go to Austin, go to the side bar. And I was talking to the bartender and I had that shirt on and I was like, hey, look, I said, just so you'll know, the reason why I got this shirt on is I was like, because when I was younger, I was kidnapped and taken to California and my dad and he goes, shot the guy in the airport. And he knew the story. And I was like, man, I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go back to the hotel. We were like two blocks away. I said, I'm going to go back to the hotel. I said, I'm going to get you a copy of my book. And so I go back to the hotel and I go, I, we'd valet park. So I asked the valet, I was like, can I get my keys? I got to get something out of my trunk. He goes, well, I have to come with you. I was like, all right. So we walk, we get on the elevator, we go down, we walk down some steps. We go to my trunk. I open it up and I grab two books and I go, would you like one? And he goes, no, I'm good. I said, okay. So I put the book back in there and I kept the one for the bartender. Well, when we got back on the elevator, I said, here, check it out. And so he starts reading the back of the book and he goes, now this kid could have been no more than 20 years old. And he goes, oh, the whole Jeff Doucette situation. Like, so he knew the story too. So I think there's a new generation. Oh, this is the, even a better one. This, this is the first time I got to tell this story. So growing up three houses down in our little neighborhood, um, the neighbor adopted a little baby. She was three days old. Her name was, uh, let's just call her Stacy. All right. So I was able as a baby to hold Stacy when she was a baby. Like that's how long I've known this, this person. Well, she now lives in Portland, Oregon. She's on her second marriage and her kid came up to her and he's probably like 12 or 13. And he's like, mom, have you ever heard of Gary Plouch or whatever? He mispronounced the name. And knowing the family, like she's as close. We had a trip. My parents came to visit me. The only time my parents came to Pennsylvania to visit me, she was living in Virginia and we drove to Virginia and stayed the night with her since we were so close. Like that's how close the family is. My niece was her flower girl in her first wedding, and the 13-year-old kid has actually stayed at the home. He was just a baby and don't remember it. So he goes up to her and is like, do you know Gary Plouch? And she's like, I've heard of him. Like, why? And he goes, because he killed his uh, son's molester on national TV and got away with it. And she goes, how do you know about him? And he was like, I saw a video on TikTok. And she goes, well, come here, let me show you something. And she still has pictures in her house of her and my mom and dad from our trip. And she's like, I've known this family my whole life. I can like they and, and on my Facebook, if you go to my Facebook album and look at the album that says family, it's her picture on the cover. So she was able and I mean, we had pictures from her at my you know third birthday party where we both just where she couldn't even walk. She's sitting on my grandfather's lap. So I was like, because of that, I mean, it's given you know, it's raising more awareness. So that's a good thing. But with all that access, there's also a lot of bad things too. So. Yeah. Cause I, we were just, uh, what about last week or two weeks ago, my wife and I were watching the special that, uh, I forgot what network had it on Jared Fogle. And 
the the subway guy, which was you get into a, a situation where you get so big and then you completely abuse what you have. And you're, I mean, you're representing one of the top like fortune 500 companies and telling everybody, Oh, I lost all this way. I lost 200 something pounds because I walked every day to get a subway sandwich. And then all these text messages and all the ways of talking about like, Oh, I want an 11 year old. Uh, yeah. That's who I want to middle school. And you're just getting creeped out because you're thinking that's the guy who was selling me sandwiches on TV for 20 years right here. Yet he's also this monster. And again, it's the people that you wouldn't think about or Bill Cosby. I know it's not with children, but you, we put ourselves in our, in this mindset. We, I think I say that as the collective of these are people that we are to trust that they are in our homes. They are uh, going to tell us uh, what's right and what's wrong. They're, they're our, our moral arbiters. I mean, Bill Cosby was, was America's dad. How could he be a rapist? Then when these very, you know, uh, these allegations, these very credible allegations started coming out, you're like, okay, who else is out there? Who else has been lying to me? And that's what's, that's what's had to have been tough is having your karate teacher be the one the the one who your father brought into his home the one that your father broke bread and fed and every with and and that that this happens and it's that betrayal of trust where i think a lot of people do grow up and they're like i don't trust anybody i don't know how to form a relationship with anybody that's got to be so tough too she's like i don't know if this person's a rapist or this person's got only knows what i i can't let certain random strangers into my life so th that that's all part of that coping mechanism going forward it's funny that you mentioned Bill Cosby because Bill Cosby was convicted in Norristown, Pennsylvania. And that's where my office was in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. And I was living up there when the first allegation came out in 2005. It was right before I moved back home. And there was an incident where the DA, Bruce Castor, was on TV. And he was he was because he had decided he wasn't going to prosecute Cosby because the female had waited a year before she came forward. And he didn't think he had enough evidence to get a conviction. And so. But there was an alleged uh, audio tape where Bill Cosby was basically confessing, apologizing, saying he would pay for her counseling, her you know therapy, her college. So basically, they had Cosby dead to rights. Well, Pennsylvania, it's a two-party state when you uh, record. So it was inadmissible. He could not use that evidence to get Bill Cosby, right? So they leaked – somebody in the DA's office leaked that there was this tape out, right? So he goes – nuts on the local news now this is just a local story at the time he was like if anybody in my office and i think probably the her family released it if i had to guess but he goes if anybody in my office released a tape or talked about a tape i will not confirm or deny that there's a tape he goes i will fire them and i will prosecute them i will assure you of that so he went ape, 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 ape crazy so uh the next day it just so happened we were at a training in montgomeryville pennsylvania and they had a woman jane she worked at the DA's office. So we're sitting there and we're having lunch and I'm sitting at the table. It's like eight of us at the table and nobody's talking. Everyone's just. So I said, Hey, Jane, I said, I got a question for you. She's like, what, Jody? I go, what's on them tapes? And look, everybody just started laughing because it was such an uncomfortable energy. And she was like, I said, no, like I said, I know you can't comment. I was just making a joke. And then everybody started talking. Yeah, I was going to say something, but I didn't want to bring it up. But hey, Jane was so I know that Bruce knew Bill Cosby was guilty and I knew Bruce couldn't get him. But Bruce also 
made a deal with Cosby that if he answers the deposition, he will not use that against him. And that's what ultimately got him convicted. And that's what ultimately got it thrown out is because they used that deposition against him when they had already told him that they wouldn't. Um, but yeah, Bill Cosby was Montgomery County. Um, you got uh, Jerry Sandusky uh, at Penn State. That's where I, I, I was going to ask about that next. Yeah. That's why I accept because that was an, that was another figure at at the time. I mean, like like you said, you lived in Pennsylvania, and he was supposed to be the heir apparent. It was Joe Paterno and Jerry Sandusky. Was like it was just a matter of time before Joe Pa's going to retire. Sandusky's going to take over, and then all of a sudden, nineteen ninety nine, he retires. And what does he do? And I, I've had former coworkers who used to live in Pennsylvania who helped run a a, a camp for kids. And he would come out and help the kids on how to be a proper linebacker. You're trying to using the, like, I guess in a good way, the term groom, you wanted to groom these kids into being the linebackers, the Nittany Lion linebackers. And ultimately he was going to those camps and preying on these kids. And, and it, like, I think one of the stories was he took the, the seatbelt and tied the kids hands up or something. You're like, Oh my God. A, a, again, a, a trusted figure for such a long time. And, that's what they do is they've they've abused the trust. And a lot of people are just like, I, I don't know who to trust anymore. If I can't if I can't trust America's dad or the football coach of my favorite team, who can I trust? Well, he he was a pillar of the community. Jerry Sandusky was he had a I forget the name of his charity, but he had a charity that would refer to him uh, kind of not I don't say underprivileged use, but high risk use, you know, people who had been molested or sexually abused, uh, the Office of Children and Youth, they were the ones that were referring the kids to Jerry Sandusky. So he had them hmm. just manipulated. If anybody out there wants to read more about this, go read the Clemeni Report. I mentioned it in my book. I can't talk about it enough. Um, for those who want to get, don't want to spend, you know, six hours reading my book, because the audio book's only six hours and 30 minutes. It's on Audible. But um, go read at minimum. If the only thing you do from this interview is read the Clemeni, the Clemeni report, it's about Jerry Sandusky to get a better understanding of how these people work. Um, you know, if you want to do that, that's like your uh, Cliff Notes to my book, James T. Clemente. Okay, okay, yeah. So I, I remember when this came out, uh, but man. <sighs> I mean, like when you see these stories, do, do does that trigger anything in you or are you I don't want to say removed, but because you've been so open to talking about this, are you a little bit more desensitized? I'm probably more desensitized, but I feel an obligation to uh, I remember someone asked me, hey, what do you think about the Duke lacrosse situation? And I was like, I haven't paid attention to it. So I do feel like, you know, having written the book now, um, people store, you know, my dad's popularity growing and growing that. I feel like I do need to pay more attention to the stories when they come out. For example, uh, I went to the movies for the first time in four years last week to see Sound of Freedom, the the movie about human trafficking that's getting all the controversy. And, you know, I was like, there's only one thing controversial about that movie is if you're a pedophile or a child trafficker. That's the only thing controversial about it. Um, uh, it was a good movie. Uh, but, yeah, I do take it upon myself to edge like like, for example, uh, Michael Jackson, Kobe Bryant. I've read up as much like I read the Michael Jackson grand jury transcripts when they were leaked. I read the Kobe Bryant police report because I feel like I need as kind of an expert to have an educated opinion about certain things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, because I, I didn't know if it was one of those where if there's a, a situation of, of like it could just be rape anyways. And 
uh, some, you do have people that are like, I can't be around that because it's just, it's invoking what happened to me and uh, I, I can't, it's too triggering for me. But like, like you said, you're out in the open, you're talking in public with this. So it's like, yeah, no, it's an obligation. So it's, uh, I mean, you're, you're doing great work, obviously the book and, you know, I, I I'm glad we didn't get too much into the book because it's a great read. But like I and the reason is I want to get people to read it. Like it's one of those things where like getting everybody into we could talk about the facts and everything, but you also want to give a little bit of time for people to say like, yeah, but but it's in the book. Read the book. So uh, that book, of course, is called Why Gary Why. Let me go. No, that's the uh, Clemente report there. Uh, Why Gary Why available on Amazon. And I mean, this is, yeah, go buy it. The, I mean, this is, you a, can get the paperback, you can get the digital copy, or you can go to Audible and download the uh, Audible version or, you know, the audio book. And that just came out in November. On November 1st, we came out with the audio edition. A friend of mine, Toby Tomplay, uh, he has a studio and he does uh, audio books. And uh, I was like, dude, let's get, let's do it. And so we did it and we got it up. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't like reading, I recommend the audio book. Yeah, I'm, well, we're a podcast generation. And speaking of, I'm glad you're on my podcast. We got to get you on Rogan. We got to get you on Jim and Sam. We got to get you all, all over the place and continue promoting this book, especially with that 40th anniversary coming up next March. Hey, I, I was thinking about talking to Smith and Wesson and seeing if they come up with a 40th anniversary, <laughs> 38 snub nose special. <laughs> the Geary Flow Show. Is that, is that what it was? It, was, it, was it really should. It, it should. It should have that caricature, like the, the caricature with the sunglasses and the hat and the beard, and just put that on there. I'd be, I would love that. Hey, pull up, go to uh, the the first group of like memes that you pulled up that didn't make it to this version. I want to tell you a story about one of them. Okay, let me pull it. It was I mean, the, I just typed it in the meme. Any like, of those, or is there like, because I, I love the laser down. beam one. Scroll down a little bit. There's one that's a patch. Make it bigger. Can you make it bigger? There's one Wait, that's let me, a. Let me let me go back to the Gary. Because there's th th this no, is no, if you just look. All right, all right. So top row, it'll be the fourth from the right. It's almost like in the middle. Click on that. Or this yeah, one. zoom in that way. All right. So that's like a. It's like a patch, and the guy makes these patches. Uh, oh man, I, I, my brother's gonna kill me. I just sent him a book. Um, something ops it's something ops but he, patch ops maybe well he made that one and he also made a t-shirt that looked just like that my older brother bought that as well which prompted people to go um why don't y'all do that which i don't care to make t-shirts about my dad shooting jeff i mean if other people want to do it that's fine but uh it is it is weird uh you know getting tagged on facebook every other week about someone posting a meme or uh there's a new one with the guy shooting blow, head, jeff's head blowing up uh, my cousins reached out to them. I got to send them a couple of books. So it's it's really, it's crazy to just see my dad grow uh, like he has every year. Thanks and and yeah, media. 40th anniversary. And then, uh, yeah, and then what next year will be 10 years since he had passed too, right? Yes, it'll be the 40th anniversary and the, yep, and the 10 year anniversary of his passing. Those will come six months apart, seven months apart, because he shot him on March 16th and he died October 20th of, 2014 man yeah, it doesn't well, seem that long 
No, but uh, just like with everything, his memory will continue, uh, continue living on what he did, what he did for for his son, what every father it's honestly, like we said about Father's Day, every father looks to that and goes, you know what, would have done the exact same thing, probably. And uh, it's uh, it's a great I mean, it's weird to say it's a great story because obviously it comes from the worst thing imaginable, but. Like you, like you said, I mean, Jeff wasn't molesting any more kids after that. So he, Never again. your dad stopped a monster. Well, um, I'd like to end with this quick little note that I am, in a sense, following in my father's footsteps. Because I told you, you know, he was the kind of guy that would pick up a stray animal and bring him home. Well, this mm-hmm. thing, this that's been sitting on my lap, this whole interview, <laughs> is, is my kitty Lolo Jones. Are you familiar with Lolo Jones? Yeah, the, uh, the track and field star. Yeah, so whenever I picked her up, I found her. She was walking on the shoulder of Interstate 10. I mean, like, literally, she was on the interstate on the shoulder. And she was about this big. And I turned around, went, and I got her. And that's why she loves me so much. That's why she sits on my lap. But this past Father's Day, everybody was telling me, Happy Father's Day, Happy Father's Day, even though I'm not a father. So my answer to them was, yeah, I'm a cat dad, you know. And so I leave work uh, Sunday on Father's Day, coming home. You know, my kitty, she comes to me like a dog. She'll run to me like a dog when I get home. And I stopped off at the store, the grocery store, before I had to pick up some hot sauce because I was going to make some hot wings, right? And when I get to Winn-Dixie, who walks in front of my car pushing a buggy? Lolo Jones. Wow. So I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. Look, I've shaken hands with two presidents. I've met Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, and Larry Holmes, Bernard Hopkins, Sugar Ray, Leonard, Smokey, Robinson, Little Richard. The most nervous I've ever been asking someone was for a picture was Lolo Jones because I named my cat after her, and it was Father's Day. <laughs> really? Did, did she know who you were? Did you Did you have to tell She's her? Not, I, I, I'm, here's how nervous I was. Like, I, I actually, I never do this, but I said, I said, Lolo, I said, my dad's the guy that shot the guy in the airport. Well, just, she's like from Iowa, and she's like, I'm not from here. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with the story. And look, I had a trunk full of books sitting right behind me. I could have pulled out a book and said, here you go. Enjoy it. And I forgot to give her a book. So I guess the next time I see her, I'll give her one. Well, I mean, look, we, we all meet celebrities. <laughs> That's uh, a picture of me and Jim Norton back in the day. Isn't uh, that when you, where, you, did, you say, hey, I like your Twitter, uh, my profile picture on Twitter. Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, me and Jim. He's I love Jim, man. He's I drove to Austin just to see him. I drove to Dallas in January to stay, you know, to see him, and I stayed to both for both of his shows. So yeah, Jim Jim Norton. If you're not familiar with his comedy, he's real. He's a real comedian. He's not one of the. If he tells a story about how he was in uh, Brazil and picked up two prostitutes, it happened. He's not making that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or all I have to say is two words: monster rain. Monster Rain, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> I played that. And and I do I do have a theory on Jim because Jim talks about the fact that, you know, he's like, I wasn't sexually abused. I wasn't molested. But what happened with Jim, in my opinion, what I believe, and, and you can I'll write about it in the book, not specifically about him, but I think what happened to Jim was in he was uh, there was a form of sexual abuse that he didn't recognize called acting out. So another ch- child and his circle of friends was getting molested and taught Jim at a young age monster rain. And I think that that was a sign of some other kid acting out on Jim. That's why he doesn't say or identify as someone molesting. But have you ever heard him do Uncle Paul and baby Hitler? I, yeah, I've heard Uncle Paul. Yes. I, I used I, to I, babysit. Yeah. 
Uh, oh yeah, he, he that's my karate friend. A little tattletale, <laughs> you know. I, and and him doing Uncle Paul, I love it. I mean, he did the, the one. If you go to YouTube and, and talk about Baby Hitler, it's so inappropriate. But he's like, "What are you gonna do? Take Hitler's side?" <laughs> <laughs> It's just, but again, you have a sense of humor about this that uh, not everybody could would I guess identify as, but they can't they can't tell you how to react to something horrible that they no you need to react in this uniform way. It's like no, you can you've made jokes, you've put yourself out there and everything. You're a public figure, and uh, yeah, but unfortunately, would you would you I guess have preferred the life of being just a normal everyday person had that not happened to you and had your not been dad been a hero or anything like that I, I, you know it's you you'd ideally probably not want to have been molested and uh that you could live a normal life growing up in louisiana well it, it goes back to the one really bad uh review i got on amazon from old crystal um she it upset her when and my godson for those who haven't read the book yet uh when he was a uh freshman or yeah when he, i think he was a freshman no sophomore in high school he played cornerback and his team went to the superdome and won a state championship and he had an interception in that game and he played really well so right before his junior year um him and his friend his friend got stuck in the mud and he went to you know tie the rope and told him all right you go go well a friend had it in reverse and so that truck backed into him and crushed his leg so he lost his leg and so he worked hard. He, he busted his butt and he eventually got back on the field. His team made it back to the Superdome and he got to play in the state championship his senior year holding for extra points. And unfortunately, the team lost. But a couple of years after that, me and him were sitting, you know, he was going to LSU and I asked him, I said, would you switch with me? Would you be willing to 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 switch with me? And he was like, I can't answer that. I said, I can. I was like. I'll take what happened to me because it's my reality. It's what I went through. You know, he's, he's adjusted to life. Look, he's, he's married now, got him a house. He's got a baby, got a pony. He's a defensive coordinator at a high school. So, I mean, he's doing well, but I mean, I saw a picture of him today. He was out, you know, wakeboarding, you know, so he's adjusted to not having a leg. So Mm -hmm. I'm willing to bet he wouldn't want to go through what I went through because I don't want to go what he went through. And there was another uh, one of our, friends I, w- I won't say his name but um his dad was paralyzed when he was like seven years old and i wanted to ask him you can trade with me either either of us so your dad could walk would you be willing to do it and again i don't think he would i think it was his reality that's what he's coped with he's reacted to so i think all of us would keep what happened to us so that the point i wasn't trying to be some you know you know self-righteous prick that crystal thought i was i was just trying to make the point that you know what we experienced something tragic all of us had and we've dealt with it our own way we've coped with it we've moved on so that's the thing about sexual abuse you know what once you identify it i mean it's not something that you you're scored for life or your damaged goods or you can't get over it you can't but it takes work it's not something it's not a magic pill you can take overnight i mean i'm sitting here now talking about not reacting whenever i go see a kid in the hospital but again could I have done that at 14 years old? You know, I've worked through it. So, I mean, just know it's a process and you can be okay. Well, Jody, this has been fantastic. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. And again, that book, Why Gary, Why, available on Amazon. Go please buy that. And uh, yeah, no, and we're 
keep continuing with this advocacy and everything. And uh, next year will be 40 years and the memes will continue. Uh, I was to say the the next time uh, uh, a big you know McMartin case comes you know if you want to have me on to and we discuss about it just feel free to reach out and you know we'll we'll make it happen. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, I might have to change my profile picture with the uh, your dad with the laser beams for eyes. That's <laughs> that's, that's I love that meme. But uh, Jody, thank you so much again, and thank you for checking out the Check Your Brain podcast today. Wherever you, if you're watching this or listening to it, if you liked what you heard, subscribe. Make sure you uh, whether you want. $3 a month for Patreon, or just hit the free podcast that goes out every Wednesday. So thanks everybody for listening and watching the Check Your Brain podcast. I'll be back with you with another free episode coming up next week. Bye now.